the moment that you start to wonder if you deserve better, you do. My name is Andrea and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Hello, my dear shit shows. How the hell are you doing this fine day? I hope you're well. And if you're not well, hopefully you will be feeling better after you listen to this shit. So today we are diving deep with Ricky Close. She is the author of the book, The Anxious Heart's Guide, Rising Above Anxious Attachment. And we be talking about attachment. We are talking about insecure attachment. Ricky is going to be sharing about her journey of going from anxious to earn secure. We are going to be talking about how to navigate dating when you have an insecure attachment style. The whole shebang a bang. But first, let's have a little chat. I have some food for thought. So when it comes to insecure attachment, I think that there's quite a wide spectrum. I think there's some people who have more milder cases of insecure attachment, while others have more extreme versions of insecure attachment. And I hate to break it to y'all, but I think most of us, uh, at least I'll say me, are on the very extreme end. Now, why is this the case? And also, I am not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm just a shit show with the podcast. So take what you want and leave the rest. But the reason I think we have more extreme versions of this is because we're not just dealing with attachment issues. We're dealing with complex trauma. Now, a lot of the research on attachment styles uh, seem to say that our attachment style is formed within the first 18 months of our lives. And for me, this is kind of uh, a struggle for me to grasp. I really feel like what contributed to my being an anxious attacher was the result of what I endured, you know, age five and older. So anxious attachment is the result of a caregiver giving inconsistent emotional attunement. And from what I've heard, from what I've seen, I was a happy baby. I was a good baby. And I believe that my mother was emotionally attuned with me. So who the hell knows? But from what I see, the issues that I've had in dating, my attachment-related struggles all have very direct correlations to my childhood, age five and older. And so I think as adult children, when we are working through this issue, when we are trying to heal, when we are trying to get to earned secure attachment... This needs to be approached not just from a attachment perspective, but from a complex trauma issue, because I view our insecure attachment style as a byproduct of our underlying complex trauma. Unless we address this underlying trauma, you know, our attachment style is we're just going to continue to be a hostage to our attachment style or insecure attachment style. So probably the most popular book on attachment is called Attached. It is a great book, um, super informative. However, it doesn't talk about trauma in it at all. It gives you tons of tools to use in the present moment, how to navigate your insecure attachment style. And so I think that there are some people out there who have attachment issues, who can read this book 
and implement changes into their lives. Uh, Again, I don't think that this is the case for us with complex trauma because I don't think we can learn all the tools in the world. Uh, We can read as many books as we want in the world. We're not going to be able to make any changes unless we address this unresolved trauma shit, which is why I think it is so important that we take a break from dating so we can figure our shit out. We got to figure out what the hell is going on with us. We need to take a break. I would suggest at least a year. Now, I will still love you. I will not judge you if you do not do this. However, I highly, highly recommend it. So the Crappy Childhood Fairy has a video titled Why a No Dating Period Helps My Coaching Clients. I'll include a link in the show notes. Um, But she has a 12-week course on complex PTSD and dating. And one of the things that she requires is that you are single throughout the 12-week course. Now, if you're already in a relationship, uh, that's okay. It's not like you have to get out of a relationship, but she does not want anyone to get into a new relationship while they are going through the course. And so she gives in this video five different reasons as to why it is important that we have a period of healing with no dating. And so the first thing that she talks about is how when we are unhealed, Uh, The people we feel drawn to are very likely to match our unhealed wounds in ways that because we are wounded, we cannot see it. So we just end up in the same old patterns and we must work through these patterns before we can approach dating in a more healthier way. And so she says this one thing, buckle up, I love this quote, getting into a happy, stable relationship always depends on staying out of relationships with the kind of people who fit your old patterns. So we must first address the pattern, the pattern needs healing. And once we've done some healing, we might still be attracted to those same people, but we're going to be able to spot it we will be more present. We will be able to stay more conscious in the experience and recognize that this is our old pattern and we can take action. You know, we're not going to just bury our head in the sand. What red flag could you possibly be talking about? So I probably took off a year and a half to two years. I did no dating And so I would say in the past four years, I have probably gone out on 10 dates in total, but maybe not even 10, five to 10 dates. Now, only one of them turned into a second date. I was into him on the first date. And then our second date, he came over to my apartment. We ordered food and I just was really repulsed. Like whatever spark was there the first date, it was gone. I was uh, really kind of creeped out by him. And I made up that essentially made it seem like I was about to have diarrhea. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we were watching a movie. And I was so afraid that he was going to like try to touch me or kiss me that I was like sitting over there, like holding my stomachs, like, oh, oh. And eventually I was like, I need you to leave. So ladies, Gentlemen, you can always use the uh, the diarrhea excuse. Who out there has done that before? Let me know. But so in the few dates that I did, I noticed that 
I was not attracted to the same types of people. I definitely went on a few dates with some guys that totally would have fit my old pattern. And I, I was not feeling it. I was actually a little bit repulsed. And so then this about six months ago, I've talked about this. I, I met someone and this was the first time that I had, that I was talking to somebody that I kind of had those, those butterfly feelings. You know, I had not felt that way in a very, very long time. That miserable fucking feeling, you know, my, my fear of abandonment got triggered and because of the work that I've done, because of the period of time that I took off from dating, I was able to go through this experience in such a different way. I recognized what was going on with me. I was able to recognize in the moment that the way that I was feeling had nothing to do with this guy, that I had everything to do with abandonment issues that I have in my childhood and unresolved issues. Um, and then when the red flag popped up, I fucking identified the red flag. I told other people about the red flag. It was a non-negotiable. You know, it was a non-negotiable. And that was the first time ever that I had told <laughs> a friend or a sponsor or a therapist about the red flag upon immediate discovery. Well, that is enough out of me. Let's get to the interview. But first, some housekeeping. Number one. This Sunday, we have How to Quiet the Inner Critic, a Shut the Fuck Up workshop with Saskia Lightstar. There are just a few spots left for that. It's Sunday, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. See show notes for a link to get a ticket. Next, I want to give a shout out to my newest Patreon shit shows, our newest members of the shit show. Patreon is where I host three weekly Zoom support groups. You also get to meet some really fucking cool people who are doing the damn work to heal, who know exactly how you feel and you desperately need to meet, but you you just don't know it. But there's all these people in there that you actually really need to meet. So patreon.com slash adult child is also where you say thank you, Andrea, for all that you do. So thank you, thank you, thank you to Andrew, Emily, Bradley, Jeanette, Kristen, Rachel, Kelly, Kate, Elizabeth, Rachel, Emily, Anna, Jen, Marissa, and Melissa. Thank you, shit shows, so damn much. I want to hear your name on this list next week. Yes, you. I am talking to you. Patreon.com slash adult child. Um, you can also follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Adult Child Pod. And of course, give me a damn five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. Thank you so very much. All right, y'all. What is my pleasure to introduce a, a kindred spirit? So today we have Ricky Close. She is the author of the book, The Anxious Hearts Guide. She is also the, the face, the fingers behind the Instagram account, The Anxious Heart Guide. So welcome, Ricky. Hello. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you. So you so we connected when we did the, um, what the hell was the name of that? Um, it had a good title. Why do I keep doing this in relationships or something like that? Yeah. 
Yeah. Basically like what mm-hmm. the hell's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I couldn't miss that. Yeah. I love that stuff. Nutshell. So cool. <laughs> so you're an anxious attacher. I am actually, I am now you're, you're earned secure, earned secure. Um, but I do still lean anxious. Sometimes I still have enough, enough uh, skin in the game to be able to talk about it. I think. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> and I don't know that we ever lose that stuff completely, you know? I know. I think that that's a little bit of a bummer for people to hear. I know, but you know what? You, you can have a great life and a great time in relationships and still be able to feel that anxiety. If you know what to do with it, it's not so scary. Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like with, unfortunately I hate to like compare it to like alcoholism or, or mm-hmm. like complex trauma. Do you view it as something that we have to continuously treat? Yeah, I think so. And I think, I don't think that's an unfair comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it's like, um, well, I also, I suffered from OCD. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was diagnosed very young with that. And the therapist that I was working with, um, I was so focused on like, how do we fix this? What's a cure? How do we make this go away? And she said, Ricky, it's never going to go away. She's like, you will probably always be able to feel that somewhere in the back of your mind, no matter how well you cope with it. And honestly, I think anxious attachment is very similar. It's not something that ever fully goes away, but if you have tools to deal with it, um, one of the best tools being the ability to self-soothe, um, it doesn't become such a problem in real life. How old were you when you got that diagnosis for OCD? Uh, 19. 19. Okay. Yeah. And was that something that you had struggled with for a while? Like, do you feel like that was present as a kid and you just didn't know um, there and didn't get a diagnosis? Maybe. Yeah, maybe it definitely, um, college is a stressful time. So that's when it really started to manifest. And I was like, Whoa, what is going on with me? Thankfully the uh, university had free counseling and, um, I somehow yay, 19 year old me marched myself right in there and talked to her about that. And, um, yeah, finding out what that was really young was very helpful in learning to cope. Was there any shame there? You know, honestly, I didn't really know much about it back then. And I think uh, 2004 was a very different time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there, we didn't have all the discussions about mental health back then. So um, it was kind of just, I guess I did feel kind of ashamed. It's something that I didn't really tell people. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel much more comfortable saying it out loud now. Um, but yeah, back then I just didn't really talk to people about it. I just marched off with my tool belt full of tools and how to cope and, and dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Remember that um, MTV show, True Life? Yeah. 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 I remember there being an OCD one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Okay. So maybe people were starting to talk about it a little bit. But... <laughs> I loved that show. It was yeah. so good. Yeah. There's um, a lot of different kinds of OCD too. I always hate it when people lump everything in together, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different kinds. Um, I don't really know that much about it. So like, what are the types? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, this, we're not here to talk about that today. Um, we're here to talk about whatever we want to talk about. <laughs> that's true. I'm certainly not an OCD expert um, by any means. I know, I know how I struggle. Um, I, I just like people tend to think of the very stereotypical. Like washing your hands a million times a day. Yeah. yeah. That's not me. That's yeah. not me. Mm-hmm. Right. But for some people it is, um, some OCD is, is ticks and, mm-hmm. um, mine are mostly intrusive thoughts. So mm-hmm. compulsions aren't really an issue anymore with therapy and tools to help out with that. 
but everybody's compulsions are super different. It's not so much the the door, the the lock checking and the hand washing, and some people have real bad germophobia with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just mostly looping thoughts, looping thoughts that cause trouble in real life. That would be, that would be OCD. I think I have a little bit of OCD tendency sometimes. I don't know if this is something mm-hmm. I've shared on the podcast before. So every night before I go to bed, mm-hmm. I wash my feet twice. Oh, interesting. So this started living in Florida mm-hmm. where you would wear flip-flops all day. You know, you have some mm-hmm. nasty feet at the end of the day. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. So I just like go wash my feet and then, um, and then I just started doing it. And then one day I had socks on all day, but I just still needed to, um, to wash them. It was your ritual. Yeah. Yeah. And then one day I did it twice and yeah. now I've done it twice ever since now it's been it like twice. 10 years. It's- it's not harming anyone. No, it's okay to have rituals. And if they bring you comfort and they don't mess up the rest of your life, totally great. Totally great. And also probably not something that you would be diagnosed for at no, all. So. Um, the thing with OCD is if you're looping thoughts and the behaviors that you have to do to feel better about those looping thoughts are like negatively interfering with your life, that's when it's an issue. Other than that, I mean, feel free to wash your hands and line up pencils all day long, you know, as long as it's not interfering with the rest of your life, you're okay. Yeah. I think I'm like the perfect candidate for somebody like with a foot fetish, right? Like I have the (laughs) cleanest feet in the game. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. You know, Hey, there's somebody for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I hear there's all these people making shit loads of money with feet on OnlyFans. So no, there you go. Yeah. If your compulsion makes you money, right. Game on. Mm. So I was reading in the book and what you talk about is how, at least this is how it came across to me. So mm-hmm. your attachment, your anxious attachment style really started to rear its ugly head mm-hmm. post divorce. Is this an accurate statement? Or no? Yeah. And that's not to say that I wasn't an anxious attacher when I was dating before I was married. I absolutely was. But, um, When my marriage started falling apart, that's when the anxious attachment got absolutely out of control. And it does. Um, I would say with other mental illness, um, when things get stressful, that's when we really have trouble dealing with those things. And so do you remember the first time, like just feeling that, that feeling? Oh, I want to say that the feeling of being insecurely attached to a significant Uh other. I felt that with every, every romantic attachment Uh I've ever had, even, even now, currently I am in a relationship right now. And even now I know the feeling acutely of feeling like, ah, they hate me. I need to do something to prove myself, prove to them that I'm worth being with. I mean, I, I know that feeling even now, but yeah, I mean, when I started dating, when I was about 16, probably. That mm-hmm. it's, it was, that was the status quo. That's how I dated. So <laughs> tell me about your first relationship. Oh my goodness. My first relationship ever. I wonder if you'll hear this. Um, I had a boyfriend in high school named Jake. That was probably my, that was probably my first real boyfriend. And honestly, um, Jake and I had kind of a nice relationship, say 15 or 16, maybe that was actually kind of great. We were friends and I was like, Oh, I'm going to date my friend. Um, so I think we were pretty good. I want to say I don't feel like it really came out in a big way there. Um, it was my next boyfriend, probably. Um, he was a year older. 
very cute. He could drive. That was a big deal, you know? Um, and I, I remember throughout that relationship really feeling like, like the need to prove myself to him. And that's probably where it started. No offense to him. He was a lovely boyfriend, but it's still, <laughs> that's, I think that's probably where I really started seeing, seeing things not being okay, but you know, 16 year olds, 17 year olds, uh, they're not great at dating anyway. We're not meant to be at that age. You know, that's like, it's like practice. It's really like, we don't know what we're doing. Um, but I definitely had friends who I would see, they would break up and they would recover a lot faster. Mm. You know, they would be upset and then they would be like, Oh, that's fine. More fish in the sea though. I'm young. Um, I was devastated after that mm. breakup and it took a long time to recover. And I, found myself thinking about that breakup for a long time, not like, what can I do to get him back? But what was so wrong with me? You know? Mm. Mm. And I kept carrying that. I kept carrying that on forward. Like, like the title of your podcast, you know, adult children where we're, I think we're carrying narratives that we pick up when we're little that we don't even know are there. So when I got that, that big rejection, it's reaffirming that. Yeah. It was reaffirming that it's like, well, this is, you know, this is why people don't love you. It's the way that you act. It's the way that you are. And yeah, exactly. I think, um, that very first boyfriend I had, that was a very secure attachment. We were very communicative and open and, and you don't see behaviors like that coming out in yourself when you are securely attached to someone, but when you're insecurely attached and things are a little unstable and you're not sure where it stands, or you feel that you're below them, maybe, um, that's when the problems start happening. So how old were you when you got married? Mm, 23 or baby. I was a baby. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't think so then, but looking back, I definitely, yeah, I was very young. Mm -hmm. What did obviously somebody you hadn't really done your, the work yet, the inner work. No, I was, what did that relationship look like? like from dating to marriage, was it like a miserable roller coaster? No, no. I think we were pretty secure. Um, we were friends in college first, um, you know, and we just, you know, you graduate from college and well, now you get married and you know, that's why we did what we thought we should. Um, honestly, I think the, in the beginning it was really great and it was really great for a long time. Um, but in a long-term relationship, a really long-term relationship, we were together for 12 years. Um, after a while, when the passion starts to go down and people stop trying, um, both of us, that is to say, not just him. Um, that's when issues come out that you didn't even know were down there. You know, you both start to get more set in your ways because you're relaxed in the relationship. And yeah, then I really, didn't realize, um, that I had built a very solid foundation of people pleasing and self-abandoning and right. I mean, that was the foundation that I had built my marriage on. So when things started to go downhill, they went downhill fast. Did you want to stay in it? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I have a son and I definitely wanted things to work out for him, you know, I didn't want him to be a child of divorce, but other than that, I, as soon as things started to unravel, I definitely had a very 
profound feeling that my ex-husband and I would be happier with other people, mm. that we were just a very poor fit for each other. Mm. Even if we tried, you know, even if we did put a lot of effort into it and work really hard. And I do, I still kind of have that. Um, I still kind of have that belief that um, I don't necessarily believe in happily ever after and forever with anyone. I think people, I think we change so much as we get older uh, that sometimes it makes sense that people grow apart Mm -hmm. and maybe who you were with back when you were a certain age and a certain mindset is not who you need when you get a little older. So that's just my own opinion on that. I know a lot of people are very into soulmates or good matches or I don't know. I kind of think we change and grow as we get older and who I am now might not need the same person as who I am in 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, especially if we're on a journey of, you know, self-discovery and self. Oh yeah. Um, I think it's really hard to, to find somebody that's going to match that or not Mm -hmm. necessarily match it, but you know, be side by side in that. Um, and what we're able to bring to the relationship changes, what we, yeah, what we want from the relationship changes. So I think that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So when you, so when that ended, where was your headspace as far as a relationship? I mean, were you like, yeah. Hey, I'm um, going to have fun. Like, let's date it up. Did you feel like, Oh my God, I need to find a relationship right away. Like, where were you? Yeah. I was, um, absolutely terrified at the prospect of being alone. Mm-hmm. I even remember my ex-husband even told me, um, you can't be alone. He, and, and he was not lying. <laughs> I could not be alone. I could not get myself into a new relationship fast enough. Um, And that's because I didn't know how to be alone. I didn't want to. I didn't have any interest in being alone. Um, And unfortunately, when you date from that kind of perspective, you've been a whole bunch of winners. (laughs) Anybody looks good. Yeah, totally. And um, I, I think I have to give myself a little credit. I do think I have pretty good taste in the ones that I end up with. Um, just that they're quality human beings, but not necessarily good for me. That must be nice. <laughs> I, thanks. Yeah. It's like to give myself a little pat on the back. I find, I find good men, but not necessarily good for me. Mm-hmm. Just from a, from a attachment perspective, from an attachment perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And well, compatibility perspective too. How about that? Cause I think, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of accounts on Instagram and out here on the internet that'll say like, you can't be with an insecure attacher. You have to be. And I don't know how much your audience knows about all that. Should I give a little crash course? Yeah. I mean, they've heard some about it, but go for it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So 50% of your population are securely attached. I don't buy that. Oh, right. Let's use these numbers loosely then. Yeah. Right. Cause I do think everybody has a little bit of, of attachment trauma somewhere in there. 50, how about this? 50% of people are fairly secure in their relationships. Okay. Could I say that? They don't seem to have as much trouble with intimacy. They're cool with like reassuring their partner that everything's fine. They're very communicative and open. Um, The other 50% of the population, um, train wrecks, right? Just like if things are stressful or they're with somebody who gives them any kind of grief or stress about anything, they do not handle it well in that train wreck. I hate to say that in that struggling. We use shit shit show here. (laughs) Oh, Um, 
well, gosh, I don't want to make them feel awful because I mean, um, I'm still no, 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 they got, they got thick skin if they're listening to me. So don't worry. Oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> great. All right. All right. I threaten them with their lives. If they don't give me a five-star <laughs> review, I tell them that they're to blame for every adult child that is still suffering. So you, wow. you don't have okay. to tread lightly with these people. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. All right. I'll put my big girl boots on yeah. here. Um, so, so divided perfectly in half in the struggling population. Uh, we've got our clingers and our runners. Mm-hmm. Um, the clingers are my people, the anxiously attached, mm-hmm. the ones who have to chase romantic partners or feel like they're not worthy of love. Uh, we usually date the runners, the avoidant mm-hmm. attachers. Um, there are combination attachers, but honestly, that percentage is so small. I don't even like discussing it. That's a whole nother ball game. I think that there's quite a few disorganized people that are adult children. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. That's true. Well, that's unfortunate. It's too bad that you have me on the show here. Cause I really, I haven't done a lot of research into disorganized. It's fine. Um, it's okay. Good. Cause honestly, when people are having that much trouble, I'm not the person they should be looking to. Oh, to, now you're you know? putting those people down that much trouble. You hear that guys? Do you hear Sorry, what guys. you guys? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it just a combo? It's just a combo. Right. Right. Well, the way that Adam describes it is like those of us who, what, who didn't feel, um, protection, mm-hmm. those people become avoidant. And then what is it? Mm-hmm. Those who didn't feel, is it comfort connection, connection, yeah. connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people who didn't, they're get like both. me, they're the clingy yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then people who didn't yeah. get both are disorganized. So yeah, they deeply desire connection. But then yeah, they're scared to death of but them. they also they run from it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I the only reason I ever hesitate to talk about it is I think most of my followers um, are either secure, just leaning anxious, mm-hmm. or just anxious. Um, we're we're all fucked up around here. <laughs> well, <laughs> we we over we overdiagnose the disorganized. Mm-hmm. Like people, mm-hmm. it's just like it's just like with horoscopes. Now I'm going to lose all the horoscope people too. When, when we hear something that sounds even remotely like us, we tend to go, oh, that's me. This is what I must be. And I don't want people to do that with disorganized because I feel like it does disorganized a disservice. Disorganized attachment is serious business that needs to be dived into in a real way. And, and you can't just go, oh yeah, I chase my partner, but sometimes I push them away. I'm disorganized. That's not what disorganized attachment is. Those are people who don't find safety anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's an issue. And anybody just saying, well, that kind of sounds like me, it, it, it diminishes the seriousness of it. Cause for an anxious attacher, if somebody's like very reassuring and giving me all the hugs and kisses, I feel comforted. And for an avoidant person, if they get some space and it's finally quiet and they can be alone, they feel safe. So there's safety to be found for those people, but the disorganized people who can't find safety anywhere, that's a, that's a big deal. So I don't want people just throwing themselves in that category all willy nilly. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I hear you. Sorry. um, Sorry. Disorganized folks. Yeah. (laughs) Michelle. You guys have it rough. Yeah. Yeah, I know a couple, a couple folks. Mm -hmm. Um, I do too. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, okay. So you're, you desperately want a relationship. So tell Mm -hmm. me about the shit show of dating. Gosh, it would be. You know, dating when you're operating on autopilot, it's awful. You're completely at the whim of the other person. 
Like whether or not they call, whether or not they text, you're hanging on every word that they say. And your self-esteem hangs in the balance too. It's just like a metaphor I like is like you're in a boat and they're the ocean. So whatever mood they are, whatever they throw at you, it's going to throw your boat around. You have no control over it. What a terrible feeling. Some people are, yeah, some people are married to somebody that they're anxiously attached to. And that's the same thing. They just tiptoe around hoping, hoping for the things that they want and feeling miserable. I was trying to find this quote. Yeah. Here's what, here was, this is, this is so me. And this is so many people that are listening. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I felt myself feeling interested in a guy, the internal torture began. I'd worry, obsess, water down my words, needs, boundaries, and expectations. I would hope against hope that they liked me, that they were the one who would finally choose me only to find that everyone who I was seriously interested in would vanish or just hang around casually and refuse to commit. Why did I lose myself so completely the second I caught the dreaded feels? And why were the ones I actually liked so terrified of settling down with me? This is what I I like to say. It's like, as soon as I would enter a relationship, Mm -hmm. my peace of mind would be hijacked in a second. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. my, my mood was totally dictated based off the actions, inactions, or, or just my perception of them, of another person. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, my, um, my current partner, I remember early on in dating him, he said, he stopped me and he said, Ricky, you're looking for rejection where it is not. Mm. He's like, I am not rejecting you right now. And you're choosing to see it that way. And that was like a big wake up. I was like, gosh, I'm still doing that. <laughs> but that's what we do as anxious attachers. We're actively, we're on high alert, looking for any sign of rejection so that we can fix it so that we can prove that don't reject me. I'm great. Right. Or I want you to think I'm great. I don't think I'm great, but I want you to think that. Do you, in your opinion, do you, do you view insecure attachment as always being somewhat trauma-based or no? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. And I don't know that scientists know the answer to that. Um, there is, I know a lot of us are like quick to blame parents or, um, you know, the, the people who raised us for this kind of stuff. But if it were only nurture, my siblings would have the exact same attachment style as I do. And they don't, my siblings are quite secure. I think, um, I think there's a lot of temperament that has to do with it. I'm an, I'm an anxious person. I was always a nervous child. So I imagine myself as this nervous child, my mom leaving the room and not coming back for a while would have bothered me as a baby, a heck of a lot more than my little sister, who's super Mm -hmm. chill and very laid back. And so I think, um, even in the absence of big T trauma, we can develop this way of relating to people that's unhealthy. Yeah. Even without trauma, I don't have any conscious memory of anything that would be big T trauma happening to me. And I'm, I was as anxious as they come. I was every single bullet point in, in what I write about. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, in, so, in my opinion, I think that little T trauma is just as impactful. You yeah, know, and that was, it can be. Yeah. yeah it can so, be. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my experience is like, I never, 
I never experienced big T trauma, mm-hmm. but just a shitload of little T trauma. Oh yeah. A long That's period the of time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. um, I downplayed it. So when you, when you were dating after your divorce, mm-hmm. and so you find yourself get, going into this, this anxious hell hole, were you aware <laughs> yeah. of attachment theory at that point in time? Yes, I was actually, um, in my desperate, in my desperate attempt to, to glue the marriage back together when it was falling apart, that's when I stumbled on attachment theory. And, um, so I was, I was aware of it, but not well-researched in it. So I had this very surface level awareness of what anxious attachment was. And honestly, back then I had no idea that it was something that you could work on. I kind of just grabbed the label and said, this is who I am. I'm just anxious. And I just ran with it, which is also a terrible thing to do. Um, I would be on high alert to make sure that the men that I was trying to date weren't avoidant attachers, because I thought that was an undateable category for me. Um, yeah. And I also thought that I was never going to find any happiness unless I became secure. And those are, I don't believe any of those things now, not a single one of them. So that's where I was when I was dating though. It was not great, right? Like sending dates, like attachment theory quizzes to make sure that they didn't test his <laughs> avoidance. Like <laughs> they did not like that. Um, not calling guys back if they, That's if so they good. tested avoidant, you know? Uh, yeah. It oh was my a, God. It was a rough time. It was not great. I would never do those things now. What, um, what does it say about the guys who would actually take the quiz when you send it to them? Oh, I liked that a lot. I mean, I think it's cool to be able to have a discussion with people about those things, but like, but like writing someone off for their attachment style, like no way. I, that's <laughs> awful. I mean, I honestly, like I get so many messages from people now and they're like, Hey, my significant, my significant other does this, 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 and this, do they sound avoidant to you? And I'm like, stop. And like, don't diagnose anyone. That's not your job. Like your job is to look at their behavior and ask, does this work for me? That's your only job. It's not your job to mm-hmm. fix them. It's not your job to tell them what's wrong with them. Your job is to just say, I am observing the way that they're acting and I'm telling them what I need and I'm seeing what they do with that. That's your only job. And I was not doing my job back when I was dating. I was trying to do everybody else's job too and protect myself. So let's hear some cringy stories. Oh, well, having people take attachment theory tests is pretty yeah, cringy, that's, that's I think, now. <laughs> um, maybe admitting to people on first or second dates that I was an, that I was an anxious attacher. Um, I cringe at that now um, because that's also like oversharing is a big is a big issue with the anxiously attached and probably people who have dealt with trauma. Um, we're looking for any connection that we can get. Um, so we're like dumping our trauma out on people and accept me, you know, that's also not your job. You know, if you barely know somebody like your job is to just throw little things out and see how they react. That's how you build trust. I didn't know that. I gotta say, I was, I was so gun shy. Um, even though I was desperate to be in a relationship, I was so gun shy after the divorce that I definitely did a lot more rejecting than I did accepting. So 
That's good. Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing. It probably saved me a lot of heartache. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely don't feel great about the way that I went about it. It's not like I was ghosting people, but I definitely, there were lots of men who I didn't give a chance um, because um, when you're severely anxiously attached, the secure folks seem boring. Hell and yeah. Yeah. And, and I look back at lots of dates where I was just like trying not to fall asleep at the table. And I look back and I'm like, that was probably a secure person, like a perfectly quality human being who got a text from me later that was like, Hey, I just don't see this being a match. And honestly, he was probably like, what the heck did I do wrong? Right. And he didn't do anything wrong. It was me. I didn't have that uncertainty as glue which is what anxious attachers are looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, so do you think that somebody, even if we've done work, let's say it's an anxious mm-hmm. attacher or an avoidant mm-hmm. and they've done or some, disorganized or yeah. disorganized, you've fucked up people. Um, <laughs> if you, uh, you've done some work, you're doing some dating. Mm-hmm. Can you ever have those really strong feelings on the first date and have it not be a red flag? Ooh, that's a really great question. I think for me personally, it took a lot of practice to recognize, to be able to get strong feelings when secure things are happening. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to be aware when we, when we have strong feelings, if you feel, and they feel good, so you don't want to analyze them, but if you start feeling really good about somebody, I'd say bust a journal out or find your best friend and start talking about what it is that you're feeling so excited about. Um, because you'll be able to see the red flags. You know, if you're using words like, Oh, they're really mysterious. That makes me excited. (laughs) That's a huge red flag. Mystery is not good. Um, if they are, kind of like cool cat not texting you back and you're like oh I got feel like there's a prize to win here that's a red flag you know um for the avoidant folks if somebody is like hitting up your phone 24 7 in a way that's kind of annoying but you're like man they really like me and that feels good that's a red flag Mm. um I don't know anytime yeah I don't know I don't know that I don't want to tell people that if you're if you feel like you're too insecure, don't date because they're going to date anyway, but maybe, maybe try to date, try to date more consciously, you know, just try to try to be aware when you're very excited or very disappointed. Those are not red flags, but they're definitely yellow. (laughs) Yeah. Big emotions when you're dating. Look at orange. Look at Yeah. Orange. (laughs) Yeah. I don't like yellow anyway. Orange sounds nice. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I kind of went through that recently about, I guess yeah. like, it's been about six months ago. Yeah. Are you dating currently? Are you in the dating world? Dipping, dipping my toe in, not okay. super thrilled about it. Not super um, serious. Yeah. Yeah. Not a priority. Um, cool. but I yeah. did, I, you know, I, I met somebody, um, in the beginning of the year and mm-hmm. it, it was like the first time you know, cause when I hit that bottom in 2018, I mean, I took a pretty serious break, um, yeah. two years, maybe a year and a half. And then I dipped my toe in a little bit, but yeah, I met somebody and, um, 
it was like, I was feeling those feelings that I hadn't felt in a really fucking long time. Mm -hmm. And then I was watching myself, like my fear of abandonment get triggered and sitting with it and like realizing that the way that I was feeling was, um, not really about this person, you know? So I was more consciously going through it. And anytime I would like not hear from him or like, I'd be waiting for him to call or whatever. I'm like, Oh, I'm never hearing. And then he would call. And then I was saying shit to myself, like, Oh, like maybe my higher power is showing me that I can trust someone, you know? And then it's like, (laughs) I don't know how many, four weeks in like red flag pops up a non-negotiable red flag, all that shit. But it was, it was like the feelings were like, so, so strong, like right away. Mm -hmm. There was just, um, I don't know. It's like the instant connection. It's like, we all so desperately want to feel that way though. You know, that's true. That's true. Chemistry is an awesome part of being alive. I love meeting people that I just kind of jive with, you know, um, that it's, it's hard not to get excited about chemistry. Um, but if you're aware that the good things are not giving you those feelings, that's mm-hmm. something to look out for. You know, I remember a date, uh, Can you he showed up. That? yeah, I remember a date showed up and he brought me a rose. Like he showed up in his car and he busted like a rose out first date right I'd never met this guy before you're like what a loser (laughs) yeah I remember no for real I remember feeling so repulsed by him like what a desperate schmuck right (laughs) and I honestly like I look back and I'm like what like now I look back and I'm like what a sweet gesture that was I'm so sad for my for my (laughs) for my younger self that 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 was something that repulsed me you know um or somebody being like very available, you know, like mm-hmm. if they were by their phone on a Friday night and excited that I contacted them, I was like, Ew. like I was uninterested. Yeah. And I look back also and I'm like, gosh, I cannot believe that was so that Unattractive. repelled me so much. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. So then did you, would you say that you like, you bottomed out with all this stuff? Like what was the low point where you were like, holy shit, I got issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, I think I lucked out Um, because I, it was around that time that, um, I'm a total nerd. I'm a complete and total nerd. Let's get that out on the table. Okay. And when I, when I learned about attachment theory, even through the divorce and through the dating, I just kept reading and reading and reading about it. I just loved it so much. And I don't feel like there is a rock bottom that I could have hit had I not been reading so much on it and I never got there. So that's good. Um, the more I read, the more I was like recognizing those behaviors in myself and actively working on them. Mm-hmm. So I cannot say there was a rock bottom. I got to say probably the way that I acted at the very tail end of my marriage was probably the worst, most anxiously attached and desperate and self-abandoning that I got. But as soon as I found this stuff and dove into it, I mean, you know, knowledge is power. The more I could recognize oh my gosh, I just sent 13 texts in a row. I'm going to sit back and (laughs) look at why I might be doing this. That might not be a reality that I'm perceiving, you know, Mm. maybe it's in my head and I got to work on it. Mm. So really that that senders remorse that happens like, oh my gosh, why is there no function to unsend texts yet? Right. Why has no one invented that yet? Do the cell phone companies totally hate us? I know. (laughs) The sender's remorse. It's like, 
it's like when I get buyer's remorse over ordering a pizza, like when I yeah. really don't need to eat a pizza. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I already ordered fine. I've it. never it's gotten here. I got to eat the whole thing. Yeah. Might as well. <laughs> um, so then did you take a break? Did you take a, a, no, I did not. I never took a break. So when I would see, and, and you know what, this might be me just like patting myself on the back. Like you're fine. Do whatever you want to do. I don't think we necessarily have to. And I, that's kind of controversial because everybody's like, Oh, you need to take time to figure yourself out. You know what? I didn't. And I ended up okay. That's not to say that I didn't break some hearts and make some big mistakes along the way, but attachment is relational. You know, you can learn about it all you want. You can, you can get all the books under your belt. I read over 60 books when I was doing the research for my book. I knew everything there was to know about that. I felt like I did anyway. And yet I still would find my hands shaking when a 24 hours had gone by and my guy hadn't sent me a text. Um, Because yeah, this stuff, it's relational. You have to learn how to feel safe by interacting and getting those safe experiences under your belt. It can't all be in your head. It's got to be in your body too. But my pushback to you would be, don't we also need to learn how to be okay being alone? Yes. And not pursuing your relationship. Right. And you cannot do that in someone else's presence. I'm just saying like, the ways that I learned to feel good alone were by maybe like taking a trip by myself or, or blocking out three days where I was not going to socialize and I was just hanging out solo. Um, that's not to say that I was, um, single then I was not single. Um, but you can, you can learn to heal relational patterns by being in someone's presence And you can learn to heal your independence by hanging out with yourself. And you don't necessarily have to be romantically unattached to do that, in my opinion. Um, If it feels good for somebody to to be single, if it feels necessary, if they feel like they're making more progress that way, I say more power to you. I mean, we know what we need better than a book or, you know, Mm -hmm. some talking head on Instagram. So... Yeah, for me, I did not take a large amount of time being single, but I don't know that I necessarily would have uh, benefited. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. I 100% agree that. So when we talk about this, like in the adult child context, I mean, this is relational Mm -hmm. trauma. And so relational Mm -hmm. trauma has to be worked out in relationship. Yes. Um, My opinion and what I did and what I always strongly suggest is like, I do think it's important to kind of, I think that there's like this, there's this inner work that needs to be done. And while, mm-hmm. yes, I think that it can be, I, I don't know. I feel like there's kind of like this pre-work mm-hmm. and then there's like the real work is in the relationship, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. And so I almost feel like, okay, maybe we can do them coincidingly but I almost feel like it kind of slows it down. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I just, it would be very hypocritical of me to say, yes, it's absolutely necessary that someone takes a year because I didn't do that. Yeah, yeah no, but I, I do think, um, yeah, maybe it would have helped me. Maybe it would have made things faster. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think you're right, though. It's great. I think there are some people who probably can't do the inner work 
when they're in relationship, especially with somebody who's like pushing all their buttons. Um, so if, if that rings a bell and feels like something, then they should listen to that. You know, yeah. I think yeah. we do, we know what we need, you know? And also what you said was like, you know, that you were finding yourself like the, the people were decent. They just, yeah. Yeah. Had, um, you know, they were avoidance. I mean, for most of the listeners and for me, I mean, we're mm-hmm. finding ourselves in like extremely toxic and unacceptable yeah. relationships. So I sure, do think that sure. that kind of like time to like, there's like a period of time where we have to be like, okay, like, well, what the fuck is actually going on here? Sure. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, <sighs> yeah. I think, I think if the men that I had been dating were like, like abusive or I think if I'd been going through that I would say Mm -hmm. absolutely I should have been alone but my issues were largely in my own head and with me and so for that reason I felt fine continuing to date and have relationships because I really like I said I think I was picking great guys just you know it was my inability to be healthy to show up healthy in in relationships that was the issue so Mm -hmm. for me I didn't take a I didn't take a sabbatical no from dating, <laughs> but some people could find that really helpful. Yeah. Yes. I, yes. I can say I was never able to figure out what I actually liked and wanted when I was with somebody else ever. Any time that I learned, okay, this is how, this is what I like to eat. This is what I like to do. I was incapable of figuring that out in someone else's presence. So mm. the trips that I took by myself, the days that I took, just to spend alone with myself, the, those are the places where I learned about who I was and what I wanted. And I don't think that work would have been capable or would have been possible for me had I spent every waking second and every Your day person. with my person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did this stuff show up for you in friendships as well or just in romance? Yeah, it was friendships too. I think um, people pleasing has always been a really big issue for me. Um, I was always Johnny on the spot with friends. You know, if they needed something, I was there. If they wanted to talk until three in the morning, I would listen even when I was tired. People pleasing is a, is different from anxious attachment, but definitely usually exists together. Um, yeah, I was showing up in unhealthy ways in friendships. If they hadn't called me for a couple months, I would definitely think that they hated me instead of just thinking they're busy, you know, with life, but um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. Orange, right. That's what we decided on. Mm -hmm. Um, But honestly, for me, it's not like this for all anxious attachers, but for me, friendships were not the high stakes relationship Mm -hmm. that romantic relationships were. So I tended, I did better in the friendships. Me too. Um, Yeah. There was too much at stake with the romantic relationships. So that's where I tended to get, that's where I tended to dive off the deep end. Do you want to, I haven't really talked about this at all in my other, mm-hmm. um, attachment episodes. Do you want to talk a little mm-hmm. bit about protest behaviors? Yes, I do. Can I pull up, can I pull up my list so that I have yeah. that right in front of me? Yeah. Okay. So for everybody who's not familiar, um, when we are in a relationship of some sort, um, or dating and we're starting to feel our alarm bells going off we need to do something in order to calm that down. The body doesn't like existing in a highly activated state. It's super uncomfortable. And our do something, our brain says our do something is protest behavior. Protest behaviors would be calling a hundred times, texting 13 times in a row, emailing, 
trying to say something to make your partner jealous so that they will pay attention to you. Um, Any attention seeking behavior is protest behavior. Uh, Keeping score. See, like if you're, if you're looking at the clock and counting the hours that they're not contacting you, I mean, that's protest behavior too. It's any of those, any of those really unhealthy ways that we're showing up probably fall under the category of protest behavior. And that those are all anxious attachment behaviors. It looks very different for avoidance, but also just as destructive. So what would be some avoidant protest behaviors? Avoidant protest behaviors, refusing to pick up a phone call. It'd be their distancing behavior. Our protest behavior is going to be the clingy stuff. What they're protesting is not a lack of closeness. They're protesting too much closeness. Mm. So they're, they're protesting and saying, I am not going to allow this person to come into my bubble. So whatever they do to distance themselves, they're protesting that engulfment, like get away from me. Mm-hmm. So that's tougher. One of my, one of my favorite or cringy protest behaviors is when you, um, mm-hmm. when you send them a text, but you write it as if you meant to send it to somebody else. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guilty. I've done that. Yeah. Oops. That wasn't meant to go to you. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. I've even like made up. This is so embarrassing. I've even mm-hmm. like created fake text messages from somebody else. Oh gosh. To really? like send to them to be like, oh, look what so and like, yeah, just yeah. anything. Yeah. Anything. Any excuse will do. Yeah. Um, something I'm not proud of that I would do would I would make like what seemed like a really innocent comment, like, oh, this man at the mall was hitting on me today. Isn't that funny? And like acting as if I didn't realize that that was something that I said purposely to make them jealous. And it's like, I knew what I was doing. You know, I'm not proud of that. That's horrible. That's horrible. But, um, but, but when you're acting, when you're on autopilot dating, you're not consciously thinking about why you're saying this stuff. It's just coming out, you know? Mm -hmm. So maybe I won't, beat myself up too much. I, now that I know I wouldn't do something like that, but when you're acting on autopilot, you do all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, I shouldn't say crazy. You do all kinds of things. I think I knew what things. I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, um, when I say autopilot, I mean, don't have a good, clear choice, right? Yeah. No, like, like I'm, I'm in it. It's, I mean, I view it as like, it's like being an active addiction. It's right. Like, sure. When I'm in that I've, I've lost my ability of choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I knew what I was doing, but that doesn't mean that I had the option to not do it. You know, I knew what was happening, but I was going to follow that. had to get that fixed at at any cost. Right. And now I know, I mean, I I try to think about what I say before I say it. And um, that's not to say that the impulse doesn't still arise, but I'm like, gosh, if I tell my significant other, that a completely inconsequential man hit on me today? Am I saying that to hurt him and make him feel insecure? Or am I truly just saying it like, oh, here's a funny thing that happened to me today. And and most of the time now I just choose, you know what, I'm not going to say anything because he wouldn't find it funny. It doesn't matter at all to me. So I'm just going to keep going on with my day because that's not something that I need to even throw out there, you know? I I mean, now I'm able to make the choice. Do I want to hurt my partner? Do I want to hurt my partner in an attempt to gain attention? Or do I want to go about on my day as, you know, with Mm -hmm. my relationship intact? Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I think that the thing probably that would be different for me now and kind of like what I was sharing about in that, my little fling that I had in mind you, I never even met this person in in person. They lived in a different state. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, And so, (laughs) but like having the realization, like what I said about how that, what I was experiencing, Mm -hmm. like the intense feelings weren't really about this person. Oh, I feel like the cat, like, I think what would be different now would be the realization that, yeah, just, just that, that it's not that I'm wanting to send this text or I'm wanting to do this thing. Like, I really think it's because I really, really, really like this person just so much. And I feel like I'm going to, they're the last person on earth that's ever going to like me. And like, this is my soulmate or all that stuff. Having the realization now that that's all very much manufactured. Yeah. And you recognize it's coming from you yep. instead of something coming from the outside world. Exactly. That's big. That's big, big. You, I mean, you asked about where my bottoming out would be, but I said, that's really where I started to realize, oh my gosh, I am contributing to these situations and yeah, I don't I have to do it. that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. When, um, when I was maybe 20, I read the book, uh, He's Just Not That Into You by Greg Barrett. And I love it. I love that book. I know it gets a lot of bad press sometimes and it's a little outdated, but um, one of my favorite quotes from that book was the common denominator in all of your bad relationships is you. And reading that was like a revelation for me, even when I was young, because I was like, holy cow, I am allowing these bad things Like I'm not looking at them going, I don't want this to happen anymore. I'm seeing them happen. And then I'm just marching right on and doing them over and over again. That's the real punch to the gut for anxious attachers Mm -hmm. is how, how we just have this, such a deep fear of being abandoned. And so then we, we act in ways that just manifest what we feel the most. Yeah. Yeah. Self-fulfilling prophecy. And, And we, and take a minute, like cry in your beer about it, right? Like have a pity party, but then realize that knowing that you're the common denominator means there's something you can do about it, you know? And I, I think that that's actually fantastic. If it was just the rest of the world, it would be a matter of making sure we pick the right person. And that would be really scary and out of our control, but man, there's so much that we can do to learn how to show up in healthy ways. It's like, yeah, it's like kind of badass, kind of positive, you know? Yeah. We're not like losers and just desperate. We have anxious attachment and we could do something about it. <laughs> That's great news. Nice too. Nice. Yeah. Right. We're not doomed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's talk about date, like dipping our toe back in the dating pond. So, um, yeah. there was a section in the book when you were talking about like, how do you know if you're ready or you're not ready to date? So oh, what yeah. would some of those things be? I think, um, I love the bullet the bullet points that I wrote in that part of the book. And now I'm blanking on them. You can tell if you're some of the signs that you're ready would be if things can happen relationally and they don't crush you, right? If you're finding yourself letting more stuff kind of roll off your back, Mm -hmm. your self-esteem is intact. Even if somebody says something kind of hurtful, those would be good indicators of readiness to date. I would say if, if one little tiny word is going to ruin your day, don't throw yourself into the dating pool. You're going to sink. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't feel like you're lovable, unless somebody is calling you a certain number of times per day, 
probably not ready to date. I think I said that in the book too. It's like, these are indicators that you might be ready. You know, these are indicators that you might not be ready. There's definitely no cut and dried way to tell for sure. But um, you got to make sure that you have your own two legs to stand on and that somebody can't just like, like, you know, send a cool breeze your way and knock you over. Like dating is a battlefield. And if you can't stand up, you know, don't march out onto that battlefield. Please don't. Please work on standing on your own two feet before before you let somebody else take some swings at you. Cause they, they will. They dating. will. Yeah. So what mm-hmm. about like, pr- like when you're just, let's say you're messaging with somebody that you met with on an app, this is before mm-hmm. you go on a first date with them. Right. The talking stage. Yeah. Yeah. Talking stage. So for somebody <laughs> who's an anxious attacher, mm-hmm. what would be like, would there ever be a red flag where like, Hey, you probably shouldn't even go on a date with this person. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's really important that we listen to how we feel. I mean, I know that that's tough to do because our feelings are like all over the map, but if your interactions with someone are for the most part, making you feel more anxious, I would say that's a red flag. There are people out there who are not going to make you feel like that. And I guarantee that if you're very insecurely attached, they're going to feel boring. But um, that's, those are the feelings that you have to power through. You have to power through the, the snooze fest, recognize that sometimes those fireworks that you feel. Fest. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's what I, that's how I felt like those dates. That's, that's the, that's the word that I would text my friends when they would ask how the date went. <laughs> And then they give you like two thumbs back up. They're like, good, go on a second date. I know. I wish future me would text that to past self. Like you should give that guy another date. Um, If they (laughs) say things that are demeaning, I mean, and I don't just mean like not straight of abuse because that's easy to spot. But if, if you text them about your day and they seem uninterested, that's a red flag. That's a huge red flag, but that's a red flag that looks more like a, like a pink exciting flag to a (laughs) to an anxious attacher you know if somebody um is talking mostly about themselves um that'd be a red flag i'd say yeah if if you feel like you could save somebody that would be a red flag you know like oh they have such a great heart i see so much potential if you find yourself saying things like that that's a red flag probably doesn't mean that they're a terrible person, but they might be a terrible person for you with those issues. Mm-hmm. What else would be a, would be a total no-go. Oh, this is my favorite one. Somebody who's like not looking for a relationship. Mm-hmm. That is like the reddest, most giant flag that I can possibly imagine, but looks extremely appealing for anxious tatchers. If somebody says they're not really looking for a relationship right now. Well, we think, well, they just haven't met me yet. They just haven't met yeah, me yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep, yep. If you're saying stuff like that, red flag. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. Um, yeah. And it's tough. It's tough because um, somebody saying like, I had a really great time. I would love to see you again. If that feels like repulsive or boring, um, you may not be ready to date yet. Cause those are the things that we should be looking for. Mm-hmm. And that's tough. That's tough. I can't tell my old self that I just kept marching right through the battlefield, ignoring those people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I turned out. Okay. No, I, I don't. I just, I a few scars. Do, um, so then you talk about like the dating phase. And so mm-hmm. 
you talk about dating multiple people at the same time, but like, where, like, I, I'm lucky if I can find one person that I want to go on a date oh, with. So like, I sure. don't, how, how does that work? <laughs> I think um, yeah. it's something I read that really, really resonated. I would find one person that I was like really excited about and all, everybody else would just fall away. I wouldn't see them. I wouldn't want to respond to anything. I'm lucky said. if I can find one that I'm mildly interested in. Oh, really? Oh, well, Slim Pickens um, out here, girl. I know, I guess. I think you got everybody should come to Alaska, right? Clearly, <laughs> Clearly it's the date. Um, like, what's the male to female ratio there? Is it like a good ratio? Oh, I, I know for sure that this is one of the few places where there are, it's it's kind of significant how many more men there are than women. So okay, there's a lot of selection. I'm going to look it up as you're talking. Yeah, do it. They're, um, the men here are very like hearty and manly, which mm-hmm. I really like. Mm-hmm. Not everyone would like that. You know, people who like men who are very, like polished and sensitive. This is not the place for those men. These are the, these are the bearded mountain men, <laughs> which I'm a big fan of. I think I'm just in my, in my happy place up here. It says, um, 180 men for every hundred women. Gosh, are you serious? Wow. You nice. can feel it. You can feel it up here too. The men outnumber the women up here. So there's a lot of selection. So that part's cool nice. for women, I guess. Okay. But. <laughs> so that's makes sense um, so, and I wrote that, um, it's a suggestion for folks who tend to find somebody and cling and idealize before they even have any, any remote idea who that person is. That was me. If I found one thing that I liked about that person or was mm-hmm. exciting about them, they, I was like laser focused on them and already invested. Soulmate. Mm-hmm. Yep. Invested before they gave me any reason to be. So, uh, one tactic for that is to casually date, meaning whatever that needs to mean for somebody. For me, it meant that I was not physically involved with any of them. These were casual dates where we would talk and eat some food together and that's it. Maybe we would go on a hike. Um, and, it, and it means different things for different people, but whatever it took for me to not dive in and get emotionally invested too early, um, I would tell myself I'm going to make the field a little bit larger for myself in an attempt to not dive in prematurely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's, and it's certainly not a one size fits all. Some people I know, um, I know that there are people who are capable of having physical relationships with people without diving in. That's like some voodoo to me. I don't know how they do that, but for me personally, that won't work. So uh, we have to know our limitations and where we tend to go off the deep end and maybe pull back from that a little bit, have some self-control. That's a tough one, but it's seriously, yeah. Self-control, man. That's (laughs) so that's the dream. When did you, how many years has it been since you have been divorced? Um, four, four years now. Four. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. how many relationships have you been in? Like since then? Two, two, two. Yeah. Okay. Two. And so can we talk about the first one? And I guess my question to you was going to be, So you go through this, like you date, you date multiple people, you decide Mm -hmm. that you like someone you're going to be in there. And so in this one, that's obviously not the one you're in now, did it come to a point where you were like, okay, this actually is not a right fit for me? No. Um, funnily enough, I want to say, um, he kind of ended it, but it's like when I met him, he knew he was leaving the state. Like, and he made that very clear right in the beginning. Like, hey, look, 
I'm not going to live here for very long. And I was like, you know what, though? I really like you. I really like spending time with you. Let's just do this thing anyway. You know, when, when you go, you go, it'll be fine. It'll so be that fine. was a red flag. Oh, it, um, you know, you, you know what though? I didn't think that I was ready for like a real relationship back then. Like it was right after my divorce. It was very fresh. So I was like, this might be perfect, right? This will be a great place for me to practice being in a relationship. Cause I thought the stakes would be very low. He's not interested in something super long-term, but he still just wants to date one person. Um, so it was kind of like a practice relationship. Um, like a fool, I fell super deep in because yeah. that's what I do, you know? Um, and I was, I was real bummed when the time came for him to go and he left. I was really sad, but um, at the same time, I kind of think that was a great, it was a great experience for me because I did get to practice being open and vulnerable in a low stakes relationship. Um, yeah. And we both got a lot of really good stuff out of that relationship, but, uh, yeah, that was that one. Was there a part of you that was hoping he would say, let's try to do this long distance? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. And I, and I, I look back at that person who I was and I, I just want to give her a hug, you know, like, Hey, you don't need him. You don't need some, you know, you don't need to make this work. I was in like, make everything work mode, you know? Um, yeah. I would think that yeah. that would be very, a very miserable place to be like, as it's getting closer. It was painful. when, you know, you're, when he's supposed to leave, I feel like yeah. anxiety would just become more consuming and more consuming. Yeah. I was, I mean, I was, I think I didn't have, I think he, I got to give him some credit he was always totally open about it. The right. fact that he had plans and they aren't meant to hurt you. And I think you're wonderful, but these are my plans. He was a great communicator. So he gets big points for that. Also, I, I knew that I was not who I wanted to be yet. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew that like I was not showing up as my best self in this relationship. So I knew I had work to do. So that helped that helped too. Yeah. It's still, it still hurt. It still hurt, but I, I wouldn't take that one back. That was great. That was a great relationship. Short, but sweet. I think we have to take our wins when we can, right? Like there's yeah somebody that is listening now, I'm sure. And so she's kind of in a similar relationship where it was just shit city for a long time. And now yeah. she's in a relationship with somebody who's a significant improvement from the past. Yeah. Yes. But some things have popped up. And what I told yes. her is like, Hey, like, this isn't a loss. Like, this is like a huge win. Yeah. Um, you know, that this is big improvement. So the next one's going to be even better. And it, was that the case for you? Yeah, I think so. I was very aware that I was having a much better time in that relationship. And for me, that felt like a big win. And I knew I could feel myself growing. I could feel myself talking about difficult things. So I was really jacked about the progress that I was making. Um, that made it easier to let him go too. Cause he really felt like, uh, like he was someone who taught me a lot of good things about myself. And, um, and I am, you know, as I said, someone who doesn't need a relationship to last forever in order for it to feel successful, um, that fit right in there. That's what I needed at that time. And when it ended, it felt like a natural conclusion. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So then how long, um, with your current partner, 
Yeah. How long were you, were you playing the field? How long were you dating him and other people until you sealed the deal? Oh man, that could be a, my, my boyfriend now that could be a whole nother story. I do. I do like to, I try to keep it a little bit private, but I could try to, we had a very, you can. I know that's we had a very tumultuous start, me and him, really? um, because of my anxious attachment. He mm. leans avoidant. Mm. And by leans, I mean, he's very avoidant. <laughs> so um, we had big fireworks in the beginning, um, but also big issues because neither of us knew exactly how to communicate and work Was he with aware that he was avoidant? Like, did he know about? Okay. okay. No, he'd never heard of the term. Yeah, okay. definitely working on autopilot there. Um, I shared what I could sometimes. Um, but I also knew at that point too, that sharing too much would be doing the work for him. And I didn't want to do that either. Um, so I really have to pat myself on the back. I kept my work on my side of the street. And as I started showing up healthier, it kind of just leaked into the whole atmosphere of the relationship mm. and, um, allowed him to be healthier too, you know, cause then I wasn't freaking out when he didn't call back. I would wait. And then when he called back, I would say, Hey, I experienced a lot of anxiety when, when I didn't hear from you for a couple of days and I really like you and I want us to keep going with this. So if you could shoot me a message, if you're planning on going out of town, if you want to still be with me, that would make me feel great. And he was like, Oh, I mean, that's like, it's hard to argue with that. You know, he was like, I do like you. I could do that. You know, as opposed to somebody like freaking out. 400 texts in his absence, you know, when I come to the relationship with secure behavior, it's, it's hard to be avoidant or toxic or damaged when you're getting such a healthy message thrown at you, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's a message to anybody who thinks I need to fix my partner. You know what? Like fix yourself and see, just see how they respond to that. Cause he's not somebody who is working on stuff but it's really hard to fight with someone who's not fighting, you know, mm-hmm. somebody who's just saying, here's a good, healthy boundary. This is what I need. What would you like to do with that? You're free to choose whatever you want. You don't have to be with me, but if you want to here are what I need, here's what I need to feel good. And um, yeah. And he was like, I can do that. This is a reasonable thing to ask for the way that you presented that so calmly. It's, <laughs> it's, um, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. What how we can change a relationship, even with somebody who's very insecure, insecurely attached, I should say. Do you have any other examples of like healthy behavior that you've been able to show in this relationship? That is a huge. Yes. Yes. And this is on my side of the street too. Um, in my past relationships, when things bothered me, I never said anything. I was very much a don't rock the boat girl. Like like if times are good, let's just keep having good times and not, I don't do that now. Anytime something rubs me the wrong way or doesn't feel good. I think about it for a while first. And then I speak up about it kindly, you know, every time. So if, if anybody, if people listening, take a single message away from all of this, it's that speaking up when something bothers you is always a good thing. Mm. my partner even now does not always positively respond to me speaking up. Sometimes he feels insecure about that. Like, like maybe he's done something wrong or I'm criticizing him. Um, 
but it's, it's just truly never a bad time to let somebody know when something's not sitting right with you ever. And that has put more health and trust into this relationship than anything I've done in previous relationships ever. Right. So, so a good example would be like, hmm, sometimes he's, he's from Boston. So he's like very lippy, right. And sarcastic. I think that's a Boston thing. I don't know. Um, so he'll like throw like a little nickname out. Like sometimes I think it's kind of hurtful. And in the past I would have just played along like, Oh, he's being cute. You know, that's how he's cute. But I recognize now I was like, Oh, I, I don't really like how that one feels. You know, I don't like that nickname. I don't want that to become a thing between us. So I don't play along with things like that anymore. I'll say, you're like, I don't like fat. So can you please not call oh me my that gosh. anymore? <laughs> I know. Well, I'll say like, Hey, like, I know you're trying to make jokes, right? Like I, I point out that he doesn't have bad intentions. I'll say, I know you're trying to make jokes, but like, let's do a different nickname. That one one really doesn't sit right with me. Let's let's do something else. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's a big one. That's a really big one. That's that injects some serious health. Even if, I don't know if he's like wanting to go somewhere and I really don't want to go there. I used to just, just play Uh along with everything. Yeah. And I don't do that anymore. Now I'll say like, you know, sometimes I'll say, Hey, I know that this is important to you and I'm, I'm heading out, but I don't want to do this like all the time. This isn't really my thing. Mm -hmm. Um, just being able to be vulnerable and speak up about the things that we're really feeling, even if they're uncomfortable things to share, huge, huge health injectors, (laughs) pump that relationship full of health. (laughs) There's hope guys. There's hope. There's, there's so much hope. Yeah. Even for even for the train wrecks like us that are screwing it up at every turn, you know, Mm. there's a lot we can do. And there's so many tangible tools that you outline in in your book. So I, I Oh, thank you. A great resource for, I did. I think think there are references to 30 books that helped me throughout mine. So in the footnotes and at the end of the chapters Mm. and at the end of the book, um, anything that I read that helped me, I wanted to make available to other people or want to make known to other people. Yeah, it's great. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. So I highlight the shit out of that thing. So, um, <laughs> anything else? What's, in, what do you have planned? What's on, what's on the map for you right now? I'm working on a collaborative project with, uh, I picked out my favorite writers on Instagram who are also coaches and therapists. And I sent them a message and I said, let's all work on a collaborative book project together. Um, I think there are 14 of us right now, and I'm so excited for this book project. Like all the topics are relational health, just, you know, specifics, they get to pick their topic. Um, and I cannot wait to read what they write. They're just, these are the people who I look up to on Instagram too. So, um, when do you anticipate that? Mm, I'm thinking of maybe like a late 2022, early 2023 release for that one. A tentative title is on healing, but I'm, you know, it's all tentative right now. It's very early in the process, but I cannot wait to read it <laughs> just because it'll be, you know, so many other people contributing to the content. So I don't cool even idea. know what it's going to say. Yeah. Thanks. I'm so excited about it. Yeah. I read a book that was, it was on, um, tapping on EFT tapping and it was like all mm-hmm, the tapping mm-hmm. gurus, like collaborative. Oh, cool. Yeah. Bringing so their own mm-hmm. perspective to it. I love it. 
Well, cool. Yeah, well, this will be that. You back in all 14. <laughs> that would be too many, but wouldn't that be crazy? Ah! 14 <laughs> Some of them in time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. A it. huge zoom full of relational. Yeah. Yes. Healing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was lovely. Thanks for having and me. And we'll put, I'll put all your shit in the show notes so everyone can find it. Awesome. Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, you are very, very welcome. Thank you again to Ricky. That was awesome. So I wanted to share an additional little tidbit for you. And I saved this to the end just for my all my special folks that are that are always listening until the end of the episode. I'm going to just give you this, this little piece of juice. So I got a message from Ricky a couple days ago. So when I was chatting with her, I think it was probably before the episode, um, Maybe she made a comment in the interview, just that, you know, she didn't really think that there was childhood shit that was contributing to her insecure attachment child, that it wasn't, you know, childhood related, that she was an anxious attacher. But she sent me a a message a few days ago, and this is what she said. I just had my first therapy appointment ever that I went to when I wasn't having some sort of crisis. At first, I tried to tell her that I had a really great childhood and that it didn't really affect me. Boy, was I wrong. She uncovered some big stuff in that single hour, and I thought of our conversation. So here I am looking at the pieces of my own personal train wreck going, where do I start? Thanks for the probing questions and laughs. Your interviewing is A plus Andrea. So we'll have to have her back on as she works through this stuff, see what she um, what she finds when she does a little crime scene investigation work. Um, so yeah, that's just for you special folks who listen all the way to the very end of the episode. So I that's it, guys. Uh, go follow me on social damn the join Patreon, give me damn review, hit me up, and I will see you shit shows next week for an amazing fucking episode of Adult Child. It's going to be super raw, super vulnerable, and I'm super excited for y'all to hear it. It's gonna be a good day, I promise. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.